0: Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you will come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Now, we hope you enjoy this lesson brought to us by Paul Owen. For this evening's scripture reading, I'll be reading from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I want to thank Ben for doing a great job with our college as well. He he works day in day out with them, and uh, he and I talk quite a bit about class subjects. And uh, our group is growing, and that's great. So I hope uh, after. Uh, service tonight you'll come down and tell the young men what a great job that they have done this evening please take your bibles and turn to matthew chapter 16 matthew chapter 16 so jesus is coming to the end of his uh, public ministry Uh, behind him are all the great lessons that he taught the many people that he healed demon possessed people he cast those out, uh, he raised the dead, all those things he did in a miraculous way uh, to prove that Jesus was the Messiah. And so Jesus is going to take a moment to kind of huddle his apostles together, and he's going to ask them a very important question. And Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, "'Who do men say I, that I, the Son of Man, am?' So they said, "'Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets.'" He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it I want you to know that this is a pivotal moment in the ministry of Jesus Christ it's also a turning point in the lives of the apostles because Jesus is going to ask them the most important question in the world who do men say that I am? who do you say that I am? and Peter was the only one to get the answer correct he said you are the Christ the son of the living God And his confession is a confession upon which Jesus said his church would be built. His church was not going to be built on Peter, James, or John, or any other man. It was going to be built upon this truth that Jesus was a Christ. I want to ask you tonight, what does that mean to you? What does it mean to confess Christ? And why is confession so vitally important in the life of a Christian? Peter tells us that that we should be able to give an answer to those who ask the reason of our hope as Christians. It's kind of interesting that Jesus is still asking the world, what do you think of me? So tonight, briefly, I want to talk about uh, three observations as it relates to this idea of confession. First of all, confession is necessary for salvation all of us know this this truth is portrayed for us on the pages of the new testament in the book of acts we are shown how to become a christian we are shown how the lord's church grows and so i want to pick up a dialogue in acts chapter 8 verse 35 then philip opened his mouth beginning at this scripture and preached unto him jesus and as they were going down the road they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What, what prevents, what hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he, assuming that is the eunuch, commanded the chariot to be still. The Bible says they both went down into the water. Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of God carried him away, caught him away. So the Bible says the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. So here's a man of some means and some authority from Ethiopia who had come to Jerusalem to worship and was going back home. The Lord said, you intercept that chariot and I want you to talk to this Ethiopian. And so he began to proclaim the gospel to him. And it's interesting because the Ethiopian was a man who sought God. He was a seeker. And so when he heard, he believed So now he knows the bad news about the consequences of his sin, but he also knows the good news about the salvation which is through Jesus Christ. And so he wants to be saved. He wants to be cleansed. He knows that he is lost. So he's heard all of this information. Have you ever talked to somebody, and and you're, you're to the point where you've talked about hearing the Word and believing the Word and confession... And you get to repentance, and, and they, they're so eager to be baptized, you couldn't keep them out of the water. It's a joy to see people like that. Well, that's how this Ethiopian was. He said, look, he said, all that you've just taught me, he said, look, well, this is water. He said, why can't I be baptized? And Philip said, well, you know, if you believe with all your heart, you can. And he made the wonderful confession, the confession that you have made, that I have made, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so based on on that confession, Philip baptized him, and based on that baptism, the Lord added him to his church. Romans 9 and 10. And this is the Lord's idea. This is not man's idea. Listen. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe that, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth... Confession is made unto salvation. There it is. So confession is necessary in order to become a Christian. But it's not only necessary to become a Christian, it's also necessary to be forgiven of our sins. Confession is not a request. It is an acknowledgement. It is an admission. And in this context, it is an admission of sin. And so we come to this Greek word, that comes from this word confess. It's homo-lagio, homo-lagio. It's made up of two words, homo and lagio. Homo means the same, we know that. Lagio is is really the verb form of logos or logos, which means word or or speech. And so the verb form means to speak a word. So homo-lagio simply means to speak the same word. You say, well, Paul, what in the world does that have to do with my confession? Well, when you confess your sins, you speak the same word that God speaks about it. So let's say one day you tell a lie. Not that anyone here has ever lied. But let's say that happens. And you tell a lie. And what does God say about that? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. So that lie would be against the Lord's nature, right? It's kind of interesting that in both... Titus chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 6 where he says, by two immutable things, two unchangeable things, it's impossible for God to lie. God cannot lie. And so when we lie, it's against his nature. It is wrong. It is sinful. As a matter of fact, Colossians chapter 3 verse 9 tells us, do not lie to one another. So when we confess lying, we acknowledge what God already knows is true, but he wants us to agree with him that it is sin. So when we confess it, we admit to it. And so sometimes Christians do sin, which simply means we, we fall short, we miss the mark. Sin is lawlessness. But what is wonderful is we have this great opportunity to be forgiven of those sins. If we honestly confess, and sometimes gut-wrenching confession right, is needed, And repentance. Listen to what Solomon said in Proverbs 28, 13. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them, that's the repentance, will have mercy. So as long as I'm trying to put some veneer on that sin, to kind of push it out of the the back of my memory, to pretend like it never happened, not admitting it, not confessing it, not repenting of it, those sins will be forever with me. And God is not able to prosper me. God is not able to bless me as He would like. You remember in Joshua chapter 6, the Israelites were going into the land of Canaan. They were going to conquer it. Jericho stood as a very formidable foe. The Bible says that it had high walls and mighty men. Well, you remember that God gave Joshua the strangest battle plan that you will ever read about, that they were supposed to march around the the city walls once for six days, and then seven times on the seventh day. And after seven times on the seventh day, they were to blow the ram's horn. They were to shout. And what does the Bible say? That the walls fell flat. That's what it says. And the Bible says that Israelites went in there and there was a great victory for God. But God told them that they were not to take anything that pertained to Jericho. Jerichos were the first fruits of the spoils. Belonged to God. But there was a man who disobeyed. Well, don't you know there was a great jubilation after that victory? I mean, Jericho was in the heart of the country. They did it. They did it. They had faith and they did it. Well, their next opponent was Ai. It's a small word, only two letters. It was a small town. And so again, they sent spies up to spy it out and they go up there and and the spies come back and they come back a little cocky and you don't even have to read between the lines to see that. They just come out and say it. (laughs) They said, oh, the, the people of Ai, don't take all the men. He said, just take two or three thousand. Don't weary all the people. And so the men went up to AI, and instead of having a great victory, you know this story. They were soundly defeated. The Aites chased him out of town and they killed 36 Israeli soldiers. And that should never have happened. And poor old Joshua but Joshua, everything's going good, and he's, he's the leader now, and he's, he's fight, following God faithfully, and he hears this, and he's just, he just melts. And the Bible says he falls on his face and he's crying out to God. He's kind of having this pity party. And God said, Joshua, get up. Get off your face. Would you please get up? You see, you and I know this because we read it, but but Joshua didn't know it. He didn't know that there was something going on behind the scenes. If somebody went into Jericho and violated a very clear instruction of God, so God says, Joshua, get up. There, there is sin in the camp. And so God gives Joshua this plan by He the way that He can that means He can figure out who is to blame, who is at fault for this defeat. And so you remember that Joshua gathered all of Israel. Now I want you to pretend, like in your mind, that you're this man Achan, all right? And you're you're amongst hundreds of thousands of people. Everyone is gathered before Joshua, and Joshua dismisses everybody except one clan, your clan, or tribe. And then then he dismisses the tribe, and then he goes to the clan, and it was your clan, then it was your household. And, And finally, there's only one man standing before Joshua, and it was Achan. And Joshua said to Achan, My son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and I took them. And there they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. Now, I don't know what you think about Achan. You might say, well, he, he was a miserable human being. Look at all the, the damage that he caused. But I want to give him credit. When, when, when it came time for him to fess up, that's exactly what he did. He laid everything bare. He told everything that he did. He made the confession that he needed to. You say, well, he didn't have any choice. I mean, he was the only one left. Well, sure he could have. He could have said, you know, you know, we had that meeting that day and you gave all this instruction from God and, and I got there a little late and it wasn't any of my papers. The wind was blowing, well, there was a storm and I couldn't hear that good. I had a stomach ache that day and sometimes that's the way we do it. We've got every excuse under the sun not to say, This is what I have done. If you go back and look in the text, that's exactly what he says. This is what I have done. David was a king who lived in unchecked and unbridled lust, he married many wives. And you remember the Bible says, and and Ben talked about this this morning, and the kings went to war, and David stayed home, and he's on his palace. He looks down, and he sees this beautiful woman bathing, and he inquires about her. He said, who is this woman? And someone of the servants says, is this not the wife of Uriah the Hittite? I mean, shouldn't that have been a red flag? Should that not have been a warning that she belonged to someone else? But David's the king. He can do whatever he wants to, and that's what he does. And so he commits adultery with her. And so what did he do? Did he cry out to God? He said, God, I've done this awful, wretched thing. It is so bad, so wicked. And then he goes to Bathsheba, and he asks her forgiveness, and Uriah and asks his forgiveness. No, that is not what he did. What he did is try to hide. He sent her back home and said, all is okay. She's not going to talk about it. It's okay. I'm the king. Well, you remember things were complicated a little bit because she sends word to David and says, I'm with child. "Uh Uh-oh, David, what are you going to do now? Oh, I have another idea. There's another way that I can suppress and hide and deceive. I'll bring Uriah home from the battlefield and get him drunk and let him go home to his wife, and nobody will know. What a great idea. I'm so glad I thought of that. But the one thing that David didn't count on is that Uriah had more character drunk than David did sober. And he wouldn't do it. Wouldn't do it. And you remember, as Ben said this morning, that a day came where God made David see the blackness of this heinous sin through his prophet Nathan. And David finally does at the end what he should have done at the beginning, and he confesses his sin. This is Psalm 32, verse 5. I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So it wasn't until David confessed his sin and repented that he found mercy and grace and forgiveness with God. You and I, my friends, have a beautiful promise from God. When God makes you a promise, you can take it to the bank. He's never going to change his mind. He's not going to go back on his word. He's not going to forget that he said it. 1 John 1.7 But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. But if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. But if we confess our sins, he is true and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we say that we don't have sin, we make him out to be a liar and the truth is not in us. So you and I go through the day and we walk in the light. And that means that we seek first the kingdom of God. Set our affections on things above, Colossians chapter 3. Those kinds of things. We're trying to be seekers of God, to be close to Him. But sometimes we are going to miss the mark. Sometimes we are going to transgress. I mean, sometimes we are going to say things we wish we shouldn't have said. And, or think things that we regret. Or do things. They would say Christ is not living in us. But if we will be open, listen, God knows it anyway, right? To God and confess those things and turn from them, we can be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. James chapter 5 verse 16. So confession is necessary in order to be saved. It's also necessary for one to be forgiven. But finally tonight, it's necessary in order to one to be faithful. And maybe just maybe this is where we understand misunderstand the concept of confession. Confession is not something you do to get attention. I don't know if Rodney Ratledge remembers this. Uh, You remember it, don't you, Rodney? He says he does. Uh, This was probably about 15 years ago or more. He and I were at Quizno's sub-sandwich place next to the old building, and we were eating lunch there one day. And a guy comes in the door, and he screams. He says, Jesus is Lord! And he closes the door and runs away. Now, I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind when he talked about confessing him. It scared me to death. It scared everybody to death. We thought, what's wrong with this guy? What just happened? So that is is not it. It's not something that you do once before you're baptized and never think about it again. We confess him each and every day. Did you know that? By either what we do or what we fail to do. And so I want you to think about confession and living the faithful life in terms of Matthew chapter 10 verses 32 and 33 the context of this is is the limited commission Jesus sends out 72 he sends them out in pairs it's limited because he doesn't send them to the Gentiles but the Jews only and he says therefore whoever confesses me before men I will confess him before my father in heaven he said but whoever denies me before men I will deny him before my father who is in heaven So these people are believers. These are the very people who are going to go out and proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. He challenged them to daily confess Him, to stand up, to not fear for their lives, no matter what men may threaten against them and their safety. He said, stand up for me. Do not be ashamed of me. You see, there it is. Confession is necessary every day in order to be faithful. Faithful. So do we confess him, I would say, in in our recreation? Could someone see us in our recreation and say, oh, there's a follower of Christ? In our workplace? How about at home before our our family? Timothy was a good man. He was a godly man. And Paul wrote to him. You know, it seems like that Timothy had a propensity For being timid, and I'm sure he had some mistakes in his life. So so Paul writes him and he says, and this is what Jacob read for us earlier: fight the good fight of faith, lay hold of eternal life, to which you were also called, and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And so he's going back to Timothy. He said, Timothy, you're a good man, but you need to stay a good man. Don't don't you give up, don't you let people intimidate you, don't you throw in the towel you continue to confess Jesus Christ just like you did at the beginning when you made your good confession. Revelation chapter 3 verse 5 says, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments and will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name for my Father and before his angels. So it is true that confession is necessary for salvation and for forgiveness and for a faithful life. And so our goal and our challenge that is ever before us is to be consistent. The difficulty that we have is, is, is not the differential between what we know and what we don't know. Oh, if I just knew a lot more, I could be a better... That's generally not it. It's between what we believe and how we behave. It really is. And so our goal is to make sure that we do confess Him before all. I want to say what a great job that you guys did inviting people for our friends and family day. We had a lot of visitors. And there's a lot of more people that invited someone that just didn't come. And you shouldn't say, well, I, I failed at that. That just didn't work out. Well, no, I didn't. You did exactly what you should have done. And don't you give up. We've got this fall seminar coming up with V.J. Clark. Keep inviting. Keep doing it. Confessing Jesus Christ before all who know you. If you have a need, please come as we stand and as we sing. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Paul Owen. If you have comments or questions, Paul can be reached by email at owen at westhuntsville.org.